Well, if you uh, know anything about the church calendar, you will know that we are in Lent and it's Palm Sunday today. There we go, it's up there. And uh, we're in the week um, right before Jesus uh, goes to the cross. And so next week, as you all know, you've seen the Easter eggs in the shops. Um, We'll be celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. But I think this week and today is a preparation for that. And so we're going to be talking about this, uh, this event that happened on Palm Sunday um, and what it means and how it prepares us for the week to come and for next weekend. And what we see is uh, that this, this day, Palm Sunday, is actually a turning point in Jesus' ministry. So what happened, what went before, this is like a pivotal point and is different to what now happens. But it's, in Mark's Gospel, for instance, uh, Palm Sunday happens in chapter 11 um, and there's 16 chapters of Mark. So 11 chapters, um, 10 chapters deal with what went before, six chapters deal with one week of Jesus' life. So that's how important this week is and it's kind of even more important than Christmas. In our culture we kind of celebrate Christmas as a really big thing and it is but really as far as the Bible is concerned, uh, Easter is the big thing and uh, I find it very interesting. My husband's um, family are Ukrainian and uh, very uh, close links with the Ukraine and uh, for them Easter's the big thing. And uh, my husband's cousin, who still uh, communicates, and I'm expecting to get an email from him, which will be all about celebrating Easter. I don't get a Christmas thing, but I get an Easter thing. Okay, so what I want to do um, is just, in a sec, um, what, what for me personally, some of you will know, in about eight days, I'm going to be flying to Israel. Woo! <laughs> Getting very excited about that. Easter Monday, heading out to Israel, and I'm going on uh, what's called a Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus tour. So, uh, and the other thing, um, just I won't rave on about this for too long, but this year is 40 years since I started at Bible College. So, 40 years of studying the Bible and being involved in ministry this year. And this year, I'm going to Israel, which is something that I would have loved to have done maybe 40 years ago to set myself up for that 40 years. 40 years? Like, some of you people aren't even 40 years old. Well, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. So, um, I am very excited about this tour. And in preparation for, for this tour that I'm going on, I've been reading Mark's Gospel and I've been mapping where Jesus has gone. And it occurred to me, and I don't know why I've never thought about this before, but it occurred to me that for most of Jesus' ministry, that three years of ministry that he he did, um, he spent most of those three, well, he spent all of those three years bar one week in the countryside, the villages around the Sea of Galilee. And I've got a, a map, and that's an actual picture of the countryside Um, the sort of roads that Jesus would have walked along. And I think that's the Sea of Galilee in the distance that you can see. So 
up here on this map, you can see the little Sea of Galilee, the little blue patch up the top, and then that's the Dead Sea down the bottom, and the Jordan River runs between those two, what they call seas, but I think they're more like lakes. Um, and so for Je when Jesus, in his ministry, for the three years before Palm Sunday, he spent most of his time, you can see, and if you read the Gospels, you'll recognise those names. Capernaum, Magdala uh, is where um, uh, Mary Magdalene comes from. Uh, he went over to Bethsaida. Uh, he went up to Caesarea Philippi and that's where the transfiguration happened on a mountain uh, at Caesarea Philippi. He went over to Tyre, you can't, Tyre up there and he, 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 uh, he spent time with a woman who I think one of her children was sick. Anyway, I read about it. I don't know why I've forgotten. But she, she had a very clear faith and a very clear understanding of who Jesus was. And even though she was a Gentile, she understood that she had access to the blessings of God. It's a terrific story. And so you can see he, there's Cana where the first miracle um, was performed um, and, so, and Nazareth where he was born. And so... Um, that's the area that kind of, what is it, yellow, that yellowy area he spent most of his time in. And it, interesting, the pink area we're called the Decapolis. That pink area, Decapolis means ten cities, Decar ten, polis, many, uh, became uh, known as cities, so many cities, there's about ten, but that uh, that number kind of... Sometimes there was 12 and it depended on, you know, what the war that was going on around the place. That Decapolis was a very rich and influential area. Jesus never went there. He ne he, so they had a hippodrome in one of the cities in the Decapolis. So Billy Graham, not, I'm not criticising him at all, when Billy Graham was on his crusades, he went to big cities and big arenas. And he spoke to huge amounts of people. Jesus went to little villages, little collections of people. I mean, sometimes he had four and 5,000 and 10,000 people. You remember uh, the stories of when he, the miracles, when he fed that many people. Uh, but they were all up in those little villages and people came from all around to hear and see and be healed and see miracles and what have you. So that's most, that's most of the three years up in that little yellow area. So then when we get to Palm Sunday, we're going to zoom in our next picture. Here we are, he heads down to Jerusalem and he's just been to Bethany, which is like about three kilometres. So that the trip from the Bethany spot to the Jerusalem spot is three kilometres. And probably what happened is those two cities, as they expanded, they joined together and so he would have uh, walked along um, uh, ancient roads and stone streets. Uh, and if you look at pictures, you see that there are stone walls on either side. And he actually went on, I mean, I'm going to get to see all this in person and walk on these streets, which is fabulous. So uh, he was at Bethany. And in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he goes from Bethany into Jerusalem. 
Uh, and Bethany is where Lazarus, where he went to raise Lazarus from the dead and he spent quite some time, was good friends with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And um, he, as we read in uh, Mark's Gospel, which I'll read in a sec, we will see that he was very purposeful in what he, I mean, he was pretty purposeful in everything he did. He he said, oh, well, we're going to go to Capernaum now. Oh, we're going to go to this place now. Oh, we'll go over the other side of the lake. He was pretty purposeful. And that's an important thing we need to know about Jesus. He was a leader. He led his disciples and he led the way through his entire ministry. And he, it wasn't, he wasn't just some kind of weirdo out of the desert who wandered around. He was a very purposeful person who knew what he was doing and uh, he did it and he led his people um, to those purposes that he had in mind. And so um, he says to his disciples, right, we're going into Jerusalem, go and get a donkey for me, go and tell those people there, I want their donkey and if they ask you what, tell them the Lord has need of him. We're going to read that passage right now, it's from Mark Chapter 11, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. There you go, very, you know, this, this is how it's going to happen. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you untying this colt for? Uh, they answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. Well, can you imagine if you've got a horse tied up to a fence somewhere and someone comes and says, I think I'll just borrow that for a moment and you go, hang on. And they say, oh, the Lord has need of it. You go, oh, okay, fine. No worries. <laughs> Can you, would you, would you let something know? <laughs> but, but we will see that this is actually a direct um, uh, fulfilment of a prophecy. And so, you know, these people, they perhaps didn't know what was going on, but, you know, they were like, okay, well, we'll just do as we're told. So they answered as Jesus, oh no, where, where are we? When, verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road <clears throat> while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Okay. A donkey. So Cassie, uh, my daughter, she spoke last Palm Sunday <laughs> and uh, you probably don't remember anything much of what she said but I felt like I couldn't really repeat but I'm going to repeat very quickly some of the things she said because these are the important things about uh, Palm Sunday. Jesus came on a donkey. Now the, a donkey is not the mount of a king. A horse, a warrior horse, if you're seeing a king come, you don't expect to see him in some dinky, bomby car. You expect him to, to see him in some great big thing with a big, you know, like the Pope drives around in. 
or, um, you know, the Queen, this gold carriage she gets around in. You don't expect the king to come on a donkey. Um, And these people who laid down their cloaks uh, and were celebrating, probably they were the people who had been in Bethany when Jesus did the Lazarus miracle. So they had seen some pretty astonishing things. They are the ones who were following Jesus from Bethany into Jerusalem, laying down their cloaks, cutting palm branches and waving them, calling out Hosanna. They had seen a little bit of what Jesus was capable of uh, and they understood that he was God's promised king. He was the Messiah. And you know Hosanna, the word Hosanna actually means save us. So those people, I mean, it came, it, it, as language does, it kind of evolved a little bit, but it started off meaning save us. But it's the kind of word that people used in their celebration, of like, you know, hooray, hip hip hooray, whatever that, you know. So <clears throat> what, what we see on Palm Sunday is Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, the capital where all the big wig Jewish people kind of hung out and whatever. Um, he's arriving on a donkey with a bunch of people who were probably not from Jerusalem, certainly not the uh, religious bigwigs of the day. Now, a bunch of people from this little town, this little village, Bethany, they're following Jesus in, going ahead of him, going behind him, waving all this stuff and um, shouting out, save us, save us. And so on Palm Sunday, what we see is everything is turned upside down. And that's actually what Jesus did. He was a revolutionary. He turned things around. What you expected didn't happen. But he did did what God had uh, promised beforehand that he would do. And so we see... uh, Am I going to get to that? Haven't got it yet. Oh, yes, yes, we see. What we see, the prophecies fulfilled. We see Zechariah, um, in Zechariah 9, we see this prophecy that uh, God's king, God's promised Messiah will come riding on a donkey. We actually even see it way back in Genesis. Abraham makes this promise in Genesis 40, uh, not Abraham, Jacob, when he's talking to his 12 sons, he makes this promise that... um, that God will send his saviour to his people riding on a donkey. And so, you know, way back there, thousands of years ago, this promise, and we see this promise being um, fulfilled throughout um, the course of the Bible and the course of of Bible history. And that's actually quite, it's quite an important thing for us to understand that God has a purpose from start to end and the entire Bible has this um, arc, this story arc that takes us from um, the Garden of Eden through God's salvation history back to the Garden of Eden which we see in Revelation. Okay, so everything's turned upside down. Um, But again, this was prophesied in Psalm 2, what happens in our world. We're going to have a quick look at Psalm 2. So Psalm 2, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Just before Jesus um, went into Jerusalem, when he healed Lazarus, the Pharisees said, look at what's happening. This, 
this is not helping us and they went away to plot that Jesus would be killed. And, and we see those plots and we actually see one of his own disciples getting involved in that plot. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. <clears throat> the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. We're moving on to, yes, there we are. Uh, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy nation. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations of your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. What we see in this psalm, first of all, we see that humans hate the king. Humans hate God's king. And actually, if you look around the world, there's a lot of humans who hate their own kings. Do, is it that we hate leadership? Well, that's kind of a, an Aussie thing. It's a, it's a thing that people say about Aussies. We rebel against authority. <clears throat> We've just had uh, an election. Who loves who's got in and who wishes they didn't and someone else did? But will we then not want that person and want somebody else? Because, you know, it's, it's is, is it really an uh, Aussie thing or is it a human nature thing that we're never satisfied with who is in power? But anyway, um, here we go. We see here in this psalm, humans hate kings. But, verses 4 to 9, the true king will be installed by God. So regardless of what we do and what we think about kings, God will have the victory with his king installed over his kingdom. And verses 10 to 12, it's a call to us to see that we need God to be our king. We need him as king in our lives. So, um, next slide, thanks. What happens in our world when we reject God as king? Which we see in this week of Easter. So, the people are laying down their cloaks and cutting down branches to wave, calling out, Hosanna, save us, on Palm Sunday. And then in one short week later... They're calling out, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus is taken to the cross and crucified in one of the most horrible uh, deaths that, that uh, any human could experience. What, what happens when we reject God as king? And we actually live in a world where that is the case. Our world has rejected God as king. Well, just this week... There's been another shooting in the United States. More children dying, but adults as well. 
Uh, I've been looking at Smart Traveller, the uh, government um, site where you find out what's going on around the world and where you should not shouldn't travel to. There have been riots in Tel Aviv. Wonderful. <laughs> Tel Aviv's the capital of Israel. And we'll be flying, I think we fly out of Tel Aviv, so we don't really go there much. But uh, there was a concern at the beginning of the week that civil war would descend on Israel. And I'm thinking, oh, right, that's lovely. But anyway, it hasn't happened. The Prime Minister has backed away from the problem. Uh, there are riots in France. They're all kicking up a dust because they don't like something that's going on over there. Uh, I think it's the, um, the, cha the change to the pension age, something like that. Now, there's a possible terrorist attack. In Ireland, in the UK, you've got to ex ex exercise extreme caution travelling to the United Kingdom because there's uh, problems in, in Ireland and they think there's the possibility there will be terrorist attacks over there. And that is not to mention Russia and the Ukraine and what's going on there. And it's not to mention the history of our world, which is just like war after war after carrying on and people just can't agree with anybody or anything or each other. And they reckon that the important thing about history is that we learn from it. But do we actually ever learn from history? We don't. We just keep doing the same thing over and over. Jesus is preaching to this turned upside down world and he's preaching that he is going to be the king and he's going to turn this all around. And he is actually like, does anybody want to live like this? Does anyone want to live in a war-torn country? Does anyone want to be involved in a terrorist attack? Does anyone want to go to a school and have or have their children go to a school with the fear, like if you had little children, which some of you have, would you want to be living in the United States with the possibility, and who knows what school this is going to happen to next? You wouldn't want your kids to go to any school in that country. Unbelievable. But what is the life that Jesus' followers, us, uh, is actually called? called to. We are called, I think we're on the next slide now. This is the, the way of life that Jesus calls us to, Mark 8. Then he called the crowd to him. This is, um, this is before he goes into Jerusalem, but he's begun his teaching ministry where he's teaching all the things that he wants to prepare them uh, for his death. And so he says this, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's a prediction of what's going to happen in just a few short weeks. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? This revolution that Jesus calls us to, this turning upside down. It's, it's a call away from the natural way that humans live and behave. Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we're entitled. Naturally, we want our own way. We want our lives to be the way 
we want them to be. We want them to be comfortable. We want them to be happy. We don't want to have illness. We don't want to be in financial distress. We don't want to have any of those things happen to us. And we tend to organise our lives so that we will have the very best happen for us. Um, But this call of Jesus in Mark 8 is, it's not about gaining the world. It's about losing, putting all that stuff aside. It's about living a different way. It's about living for God and, uh, and for the gospel, not living for riches and influence and affluence and comfort. It's about living uh, as a light to the world. Uh, and when you think about Jesus, as God's son, he was actually entitled to, to much, much more than he had on earth. He was entitled, and we look in Philippians 2 and see that he was entitled to sit at God's right hand in heaven. But he came away from that as a servant to serve his people. So he set aside his entitlement and he came to be a servant. And in his own words, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So this is just my last point in conclusion, and it's just a thought that came to me this week. Uh, Actually, as I spoke to a lady at the door of Kmart in Fig Tree, (laughs) strangely enough, the way of the world... Everywhere you go now, any office you go into, you see this sign or a sign like it. You see it in Woolworths, you see it in Sanderlink, you see it everywhere, every office you go into. Please treat our staff with respect. Abusive behaviour will result in your remo- removal from the premises. Like, what they're saying is, please be kind to us. Please be nice. When I was... Um, uh, when I was in Kmart during the week, I went to the door with my goodies and one of them still had the security tag on it. And um, the woman said, oh, hang on, because it beeped as I went out the door. The woman said, oh, hang on, I'll take that off for you. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. That would have been such a pain if I got home. And she said, thank you for being so nice to me about this. And I was like, what? She had been abused and had a aggressive behaviour, like she's the woman who checks you. I mean, I think this system in, in Kmart is ridiculous, you know, the, the checkout's in the middle and then you've got to be checked again as you go to the door. Anyhow, quite aside from all that, she stands at the door checking people's stuff and gets abused by people all the time. All morning she had been spoken to nastily. Okay. I had occasion to deal with someone uh, at, at my bank. It was an online thing. And it was a very frustrating experience, let me tell you. And I started getting aggro. And in the end, I was like, oh, look, I just don't want to do this anymore. See you later. And afterwards, I thought, you know, that was completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary to be. And it was entitlement. And I said to the lady, I've banked with this bank for 60 years. Why can't I just have what I want? Completely unnecessary. Why couldn't I have just been kind? Why couldn't I have just been kind? And that's actually what we're called to. That's the way of the cross. To set ourselves aside, 
um, not to be entitled, not to be saying, I've banked with this bank for 60 years, I need this, this, this and this happen. Not to go into an office and say, give me what I want. Not to go into a shop and say, I don't care about your ridiculous processes, I just want this to be convenient for me. None of that. We are called to be kind, to be a light to the world. God's kindness shining through us. Now that's just one way uh, for the way of the cross, one way that I'm, I'm now a few minutes over my time. Um, but let me just quickly uh, look at Titus because you know what? The Bible talks about responsibilities. It never talks about rights. That when the Bible talks to us, it doesn't say you have a right for this or this or that or the other thing. It says you have a responsibility to love and to serve. And so in Titus, these verses in Titus say, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's entitlement, isn't it? Enslaved by passions and pleasures. We deserve to have a good life, a comfortable life, everything we want, everything we think we deserve. When Phil gave me this bottle of water this morning, he said, here you go, you deserve it. (laughs) And I think, well, why? Why do I deserve that bottle of water? Um, So... Uh, we here we go. Continuing on in in Titus, we've lived we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, not because we deserve it, but because of His mercy, God's mercy, God's mercy when He sent His Son to the cross. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he sends us his Holy Spirit to create this revolution in our lives. So we go from entitlement to kindness. We go from hate and malice and envy and foolishness and disobedience. We go to love. And that will work itself out in in each one of our lives. You you might be a kind person already. You might never get on the phone to the bank and say, give me what I want, like a bossy cow. (laughs) That's what I was. I was a cow. And I was ashamed of myself afterwards, but I didn't think I'd ever be able to find that woman again if I rang up to apologise, right? But I should have. I should have rung up and apologised and said, I'm very, very sorry for treating you so badly. I want to be a kind person. And you know what else? This, This is my last thing. As we get older, it used to be old and wise. That's actually not true. As we get older, our brain deteriorates, our body deteriorates. Anyone in here who's as old as me or older will know that. We don't get better as we get older. We get crabby and grumpy. Me. And and we have to fight it. As Christian people, as people who want to be kind and loving, we have to fight the crabbiness. We've got to be gracious. Sorry, what's that, Pam? What are you telling me? (laughs) That, there, see, an example of crabbiness. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm going to finish on that note. Oh, dear. Oh, anyway. Okay. Let, let's just keep that in mind. It's the kindness and love of God in our hearts through what Jesus has done on the cross that turns our life around and makes us it makes it possible for us to move in this world in kindness and love. Let me pray.